Hi everyone, good morning. We've got a very special episode today with none other than naturopath extraordinaire Karen Ansell. And Karen's with us today to talk about, I think, one of the most important aspects of our health, and that is just to do with the gastrointestinal system. And we're going to talk about buzzwords at the moment and buzz things that seem really popular, and that is gut health to do with prebiotics, probiotics, which ones should you be taking? So stay tuned for that. Not all probiotics are the same. Uh, explaining some of the science and why, you know, why it's become so important, gastrointestinal health. And also a um, little bit of science, a little bit of prebiotic talk, a little bit of probiotic, probiotic talk, a um, little bit about, you know, how th- gut, gut movement and peristalsis. And finally, the most in, one of the most important aspects is how stress can affect all of that as well. So welcome aboard, Karen. Hi, everyone. Yes, a very big topic today. We could talk about it all day. Um, but as a naturopath, we're drilled into us that the gut's our core and everything stems from that. So there's so many um, reasons to look after your gut health. Um, basically, there's trillions and trillions of living microorganisms in our gut. Um, there's more, we're actually made up of more bacteria cells than human cells. Right, really? <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. So we've got to look after those little guys. Because there's good ones and bad ones, isn't there? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it's all about um, keeping the balance. Um, I think that's why I called my naturopath clinic Be In Balance. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because that um, definitely refers to a a lot of areas. But certainly if, um, yeah, the good ones get out of balance, then, yeah, infections and... Um, things can occur. And before before we go further, let's just explain a little bit about you, Kaz. So how long have you been a naturopath for? Um, about 20 years now, but I was always in the health and fitness industry prior to that as well. Um, always reading about nutrition and everything like that. So um, a long time now. And you're, you're in the Sutherland Shire, aren't you? That's right. That's right. So I'm... Um, yeah, your clinic's the... about to sort of move, though, isn't it? Because I could say where people could find you, but that's almost in a <laughs> period of transition at the moment, isn't yes, it? Yes, transition. Yeah. We're heading to South Kirawee, so not far from where I am now. And people can also always reach you um, if they want to get in contact with you after today on your phone number, um, but also your, your email address, I guess. What is your email yeah, address? Yeah, sure. So my email address is karen, K-A-R-E-N dot be in balance so it's b-e-i-n-b-a-l-a-n-c-e dot com oh sorry at gmail.com beautiful well let's get stuck straight into it because Mm -hmm. i mean another thing we we did a little preparation just talk about some things we wanted to speak about that was important that i think everyone needs to know not just chiropractic patients or naturopathic patients but sort of everyone in the general population probably needs to know some of this stuff Mm -hmm. so they can make informed decisions about their health one thing we didn't talk about in our prep was also the role of antibiotics and what they do the gut health so we'll have to chat about that quickly as well at some point so we'd forgotten about that so where and and look hang with us guys we don't know how long this is going to take it could be anywhere between half an hour an hour Um, so hang with us there's some cool topics to that we've got to get through Um, but we're going to try to hit those five main areas so you can take something out of it Um, the first thing we need to talk about i think is to give people a little bit of background um, is you know 
what is it about the gastrointestinal system that is so important and why does it seem that absorption is so important in the gastrointestinal system? Sure. So our gut bacteria have so many different functions and we're, um, we're learning more and more. I guess when, we, when I was at naturopath college, all we learned about was a, a probiotic, but now the research has gone in such a different way where we're identifying all the different strains and all the different um, singular actions of those strains as well. So the research is phenomenal the way it's um, moving. Um, but yeah, our gut bacteria has to be in the right balance, um, um, plays many roles. So definitely the breakdown and absorption of all our nutrients from our food. Um, there's a lot of checks and balances in the gut. So there's these little dendritic cells, they're called, that um, come up and act like surveillance on the, the gut barrier layer for um, our immune system. So. Certainly. Sorry to interrupt, but that dendritic cell, I saw you use your fingers, so I'm presuming they're like little finger-like things. They look like yeah. that, yeah. yeah they yeah. actually come up through the barrier layer and then, yeah, these little finger-like projections. And they're, um, yeah, they're scanning that um, internal like environment. Eyes, are they? Yeah, absolutely. Is that yeah. Right? Wow, yeah. that's fascinating. Um, yeah, there's so many, um, yeah, checks and balances there. Um, so that gives then, I'm, I'm presuming, I'm pulling at straws here, but I'm presuming they give information back to the nervous system, do they? That's correct. Yes, yeah. definitely. So via the vagus nerve, I'm presuming. Mm. Yeah, because that's funny enough, just recently found out that, you probably know this, but like I found out only like six months ago that the vagus nerve, which goes from your brain to all your gastrointestinal system, mm. um, it has 90% of those fibers, the big thick nerve, you know, and it, it, that nerve branches out and goes to the whole gastrointestinal system. I, I only have recently found out that 90% of those fibres go from the tummy to the brain. Right. So yeah. we thought it went the other way. Right, okay. So it's really your brain... It's like what you're saying there is that your gastrointestinal system has its own brain of mm. its own, you know? Mm. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. Mm. So that's where some of that neurological feedback comes from then. Sure, sure. Um, and also neurological um, actions in the gut as well. I mean, yeah, we're talking about absorption and um, we want our gut barrier layer to be nice and integral. So I'm talking about the, the cells of the gut wall need to be nice and close together and strong. So the big issue in Western society now of what they term leaky gut, I guess, where the, the cells of the gut wall become more spread apart. Um, what would cause that, Kirsten? Yeah, so there's a, a lot of things in, in Western society and, and perhaps I'm skipping ahead to one yeah, of our yeah. other no, topics. The, the pre, but, prelims, yeah. Um, yeah, but certainly stress can um, can eat away our gut barrier layer or, um, yeah, degrade our gut barrier layer. Um, there's a lot more processed and chemicals in food and colours and preservatives and things like that will certainly erode our gut barrier layer. So natural um, better all the time. Yeah, definitely yeah. as clean, as fresh as possible. They say if our you know, grandparents wouldn't have recognised it as food, try to stay away from it. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's the way Western society is moving with um, everyone's... Uh, time poor and looking for convenience so packaged goods are um yeah a lot more prevalent 
Um, but that comes at a cost, right? So what yeah. we're saying, so what you're saying is that the, it actually has a structural change to the way the stomach absorbs, right? So physically it has a change, you know, to eating this food, it doesn't just pass through you. Yeah, it actually yeah. damages the inside of you, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And even, um, I guess, things like, like we've actually got these finger-like projections on our gut wall called villi. And they provide the absorption um, area, I guess. And I guess the the biggest example of that being um, eroded is um, celiac disease, which is a true allergy to um, gluten, the protein component of, of wheat. Um, and the villi in those people will basically be flattened. So, is that right? yeah, so the absorption capability or that absorption um, area is is greatly reduced does that regenerate um, after they give it up or is it like that for the rest of their life uh they can certainly manage better digestive health and everything i'm not totally sure though whether that re yeah, regenerates or not yeah, but yeah. yeah an interesting um thought there um yeah one other really interesting thing um that came up in in research more recently about um how our gut barrier layer can be affected and um, this is really, really interesting, but we've got to uh, basically feed our gut bacteria with their, their preferred fuel is, is fiber. Um, so again, with our Western diet, like a lot of sugar, a lot of fat, um, those kind of foods just sort of pass through the gut wall and they don't feed our good guys in the gut. Um, and what can actually happen if we're not feeding our um, good bugs they'll actually turn upon um, ourself and they'll start eating away the gut barrier layer. Does that play a role in some sort of autoimmune response then as well? Um, sure, well, um, it might not cause an autoimmune response, but certainly in any autoimmune condition, um, one of the first places we look to balance and treat is the gut. Sure. There's, yeah, there's always gut dysfunction in, in autoimmunity. Um, and like I said, with the all the immune balance of the um, that the gut brings, they say two thirds of our immune challenges were always looking at the gut. Um, yeah, and interesting with some of our um, bacterial probiotic strains, we've got some that are very immune balancing, or some that are an immune enhancing. If you've got a cold or flu, to help um, fight it off quicker and and things like that. Um, yeah, but about our, our gut, um, we need to feed them with the fibre or they, yeah, turn on ourself and, and will erode so, and eat the gut barrier layer. Okay, so fibre sounds like, besides probiotics and prebiotics, which we're going to talk about, sounds like an essential building block of just the foundation of a good diet. Um, so what, what do you consider good fibre? And, and is fibre something that you should take in like I see sometimes people take like psyllium husks and things like that sure, and is that overkill sure. or should you just be getting your fiber from fruits and vegetables and stuff or do we need extra fiber to supplement like yeah. sure sure so yeah I mean fiber I think we should generally be getting enough by increasing our yeah I try to encourage clients to increase our plant food um yeah and we'll talk about we've both chatted about already this 
um, study they did more recently on a Tanzanian tribe. Oh, let's go there now. Um, that's go fine. There now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's go sure, there now. sure. So, so what, what happened with that Tanzanian tribe? Like, I know I'd, I just did a little bit of reading before this because I was fascinated by it. As we're doing this, sorry, I can't block <laughs> it. I'd rather because I'm recording on our phone, sorry. Um, everyone's calling me back at once. Um, so what what I thought we would we'd talk about is this Tanzanian tribe because it seems to come up a lot, you know. It seems to be coming up in... Um, several sort of, you know, I, I saw a TV show about it ages ago. I read an article about it this week. I've read an article about it six months ago. Why are these guys so fascinating? What is it about the Tanzanians that people want to study their gut in the first place? Yeah, well, I think um, research on their gut health is um, going in a different way. So traditionally, they were always studying how many colony forming units of different um, probiotic strains that we, we knew about. Um, but with this study with the Tanzanian tribe, they've now started looking at the diversity of the gut strains and, and focusing on that. So what they found was, um, yeah, looking at the Tanzanian tribe diversity. Now, they, these guys were eating about 30 different plant foods a day. So um, and compared to our Western diet, like I think a lot of us would be lucky to get in five or six different plant foods Maybe 30 a day. Maybe a year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's it. So, you know, I think we all get stuck on just eating the same things. You know, I, I encourage people try to eat seasonally. So you um, or go to the fruit shop and um, grab some things you've never eaten before as far as salad so and veggies go. So there is some go. merit in that. So diversity seems to be pretty important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So trying to get a good array of all your different um, fruits and veggies kind of thing and even like, um, you know, grow some of your own herbs and go and pick all the different herbs to stick in your salad yeah, and um, right. yeah, okay. um, things like that to get some diversity. So basically they compared the diversity of gut strains of the Tanzanian tribe to um, Western society um, gut and the diversity of the Tanzanian tribe gut had um, more than double fold of ours. So a big difference there. So what does and that mean in practical terms? Okay, so yeah. if someone's got double diversity, yeah. you know, if they've got more and they've got different types, how does that benefit them? Yeah, well, the thing was they don't have all this chronic disease that's facing gotcha. our Western society. So, okay. so there's our, the upside. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so less... Um, chronic disease um, maybe they don't have the same stresses as we do but um, yeah a lot of um, things would come into that but they were focusing on the um, array of plant foods I guess that awesome. they were eating um, so it's worth studying it's worth checking out what they're doing because clearly um, they're not got some of the, any of the I'm presuming when you say western diseases I'm presuming some of the, obviously the cardiovascular and cancer, mm. but I can guarantee that probably the autoimmune ones as well that seem to be on the rise. Yeah, that's right. And, and a lot of, um, yeah, chronic disease is the biggest thing facing Western society now. And I guess even inflammation um, is the at the root of the cause of a lot of our um, diseases. And um, even a lot of inflammatory cascades can start in the gut. So... Yeah, even with, um, yeah, all the musculoskeletal things and everything, um, yeah. Maybe even still... Alzheimer's and stuff too. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah we can, um, they say again, like we mentioned that um, leaky gut scenario before. Um, well, they say if, 
if there's leaky gut, there's also um, neuroinflammation, um, neurological inflammation. So, so swelling of the brain? Um, or inflammation of the nerves, neurons, sure. okay. I guess. Yep. And that can lead to degradation and yeah. um, yep. things like that. And then possibly so. shrinkage over time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a, maybe that's another topic we can talk about at another time because that's a big <laughs> one as well. You know, I mean, there's so many theories around... Um, around that ever-rising problem. But mm. I feel that um, all of us who are in the sort of, you know, I, I don't like using the word alternative as far as what we do, you know, mm. or, or mm. even complementary. I just think it's a, a different type of um, approach to health, you know, than the tra- traditional Western-type approaches to health, you know. So yeah. maybe that's something else we can chat about at another point in time. So interestingly enough, right, getting back to, to what we are talking about then with these Tanzanians, so it seems that we've already covered that certain foods aren't good for us, processed food. And one of the things I found interesting when I, when I looked at that study was the fact that um, the reason perhaps some of the reasons we got into trouble in our society was due to the rise of agriculture and farming because that made it made it very convenient for us to eat the same foods year after year and mm. you eat the same thing time after time. And with a lot of those, what I read about the Tanzanians was they didn't do any farming, but they sort of moved around. They're a bit nomadic, but they ate a lot of root vegetables rather than um, and fruits and vegetables and so forth. And I'm presuming meat. Did they eat meat as well, those guys? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, not sure. That's think... interesting to know too. Yeah. I mean, just as a segue, I mean, I noticed that there was a few studies came out today, interested in your opinion on this, um, over the last week or two that have been promoted in the media saying meat isn't as bad as what people first thought, you know? How do, how do you feel about that? Is that right or wrong or, yeah? Yeah, sure. I guess, um, yeah, I think, you know, too much red meat, I think, can be too inflammatory. Sure. Um, it was interesting, something that uh, Michael Mosley, he, was, he does a lot of research on ABC, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. I heard one of his comments once, he, he said, perhaps we should eat um, meat more like a condiment. Um, so, yeah, right. yeah, so I think we've got a, you know, I think in Western society, um, people often have too big a serving size of meat. So, I mean, they say the size and um, thickness of your palm um, perhaps should be your serving size. So I think that needs to be taken into consideration. But um, I, do think, I do think some meat in the diet um, is good. I do believe, um, and I mean, I support anyone with their choices. Um, yeah. choices. Yeah. Yeah, um, but I do believe it's... Um, You've got to be blessed with very, very good genes to be a very healthy vegan. <laughs> yeah. Do you, um, do you know, I, I, on, a, on another thing that I, I read this week that was promoted on Instagram, because I, I follow that guy, Jordan Peterson, and his daughter came out, I don't know if you saw this, um, pro, she was chronically ill, and she went on a thing, I don't know if you've heard of this, called the lion diet. You heard of that one? No, you want oh, well, to yeah. I it's haven't just heard eat meat of it. all the time. Yeah, I haven't heard of it called the lion diet, but that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I do know one of my clients um, did embark on the full meat diet, and he How was that in? he was <laughs> actually going. I could do with following up because um, very interesting to follow his progress. But he was actually doing quite good, I right. guess. 
And I just think, you know, perhaps just for a short amount of time, um, he was just starving the um, bad bacteria, perhaps. Is that what or, the theory is? Okay. Um, yeah, I haven't researched it fully, but I think just carbohydrates and things were causing him too much issues and... Um, yeah, there's I always think... a paradox, right? In yeah, what that's we do. right. There's that's always right. a paradox, and there's always more to learn. Yeah, that's know? right. Yeah, you know, but you know, it seems like we're going to give, we're going to talk about the things that we know at this point in time, and what we think is the best for everyone. Yeah. Um, but and I do know that there's certain advice that you can't go wrong with, and and Karen's talking about just that, and we can't be. The problem is with us chatting about this stuff, we can't give you individual needs as well. Mm. Everyone's different, you know. That's right. You know, yeah, and everyone yeah. has different needs. So we're talking about things very globally, you know mm. what I mean? But we know the stuff we're talking about today on a very general level is helpful for ninety nine percent of people, you mm. know. So And just going back to you mentioning like that meat diet, for example, like it's just sort of popping into mind to say that any restrictive diets, like I know a lot of people might follow, let's say, the FODMAPS diet for irritable bowel syndrome and things like that. Any restrictive, really restrictive diet like that should just generally be short-term um, or they are finding, again, you can, um, you can limit the diversity of your gut um, bacteria. Yeah, so if, we come back to that yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. So people who, I mean, obviously my family, we, we don't, I don't eat dairy because mm, um, dairy mm. aggravates my um, sinuses and sure. stuff and it makes me snore. Sure. So I avoid it and my quality of life has improved after that. I do yeah. eat some gluten but not a lot. Mm. Um, but I've known that the quality of my life, say, and improved a lot. And I've, I read studies that were saying that if you avoid things like dairy, um, dairy products, there was a study come out in the Harvard School of Medicine saying that, that they can car- categorically state that if you take your children off dairy products, that their, their rate of getting any ear, nose, throat, tonsillitis, uh, middle ear infections go down to next to nothing if you take your children off that. But that's not a study that's widely quoted in our society. Would you agree with it? Is that right or wrong? Sure. Would you like be well, the thing that? about dairy is, well, one, I think we're human and we're not um, designed to drink cow's milk. Yeah. <laughs> um, after age one, I feel we don't necessarily need any white milky substance anyway. Yeah. Um, and the thing with with dairy I guess like a lot of our foods um, it's not in its natural state so how we were saying about yeah. process and things so dairy um, it's so pasteurized homogenized all those natural enzymes that should be in the milk to allow us to digest it um, are all heat treated away could that be um, causing some of the problems then the 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 fact that it is processed Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So if I was to have dairy in its natural form, I might not react quite as badly. Um, that's right. There'd be a little bit more digestive help um, with the enzymes. And then, of course, it would depend on your own gut health. So um, that can, again, bring us back to if the gut's in that um, leaky gut environment when the cells of the gut wall are spread apart. Um, the casein, which is the protein molecule of dairy, can then pass through the gut wall and it's a quite a large molecule and it usually shouldn't be able to pass through the gut wall but if it does passes into the bloodstream um, can cause a bit of reaction which can be an immune reaction like you get um, with the sinus or some little kids might get runny nose and um, constant infections 
But then interestingly enough, the, there's a few molecules like, yeah, the casein in the dairy and, um, yeah, you mentioned gluten as well. So gluten being the um, protein molecule of wheat, um, barley, rye and oats unless they're uncontaminated oats. Um, now that gluten molecule is quite similar and, and I could talk on gluten all day, so you've got to stop me on that one. Um, but gluten and casein can actually then cross the blood-brain barrier and attach to opioid or drug-like receptors in the brain. Um, and this is a big topic. You can then see um, in kids poor concentration, um, behavioural disorders, um, foggy brain, even with adults, yeah, will get foggy brain if they're not digesting those um, food molecules um, properly in the gut. It's funny you say um, that because I don't eat a lot of gluten. When I do now, I do. I kind of kind of really like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like I get a bit of a high out of well, it. Well, right? that's exactly yeah. right. And you see, you see a lot of kids that form like an addiction. Yeah. Um, and their diets become really limited because all they want is their cheesy pasta and their yogurt and their milk and their bread very very common and that's and once again narrowing the yeah, diversity yeah, yeah. that's right yeah. um and they're getting that opioid or drug-like hit so they're craving they're craving the food and it Poor becomes kids. an addiction between the um, ipads and the diet oh, i know and, you know what are we doing to them <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and and that's it i think we're um yeah we're passing on poorer and poorer gut health as well um and, you know, I feel our environment's a little bit to do with it as well. Like we, we're becoming more of a concrete jungle. So they say you get, you pick up more gut bacteria from the soil or from um, padding animals and things like that. Yeah. And, and the now more sanitised the world is, the less microbe, microbiome, yeah. you know, contamina good contamination you might get. Yeah, know. that's right. And even, you know, some of our hand sanitizers have such strong chemicals in it by washing your hands in them affects your gut bacteria. Is that right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, particularly avoiding um, ones that have triclosan in them is a bit of a nasty one. It's an antibacterial agent. So, yeah, wiping out all our good bacteria on the skin. Well, I think that's another, another talk we could possibly have because, yeah. I mean, I know Sarah, my wife, is very, uh, has always tried to have a chemical-free home. Yeah, and yeah. so she tried, you know, so the chemicals in household products, even in detergents, in washing powder, yeah. in cleaning products, yeah. um, can affect that natural environment. That's again, right, and again, yeah. um, affecting that gut barrier layer. Wow, um, I never knew it traced back to there. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, one cute bit of a study where, um, yeah, we were just talking about, um, like the soil and the pets and things like that. So, um, one study actually found that like plants and trees, they actually have their own microbiome cloud around them. Um, and us spending, spending time in nature will actually take on a bit of that um, gut bacteria. Really? Yeah. So, That's amazing. I mean, you always feel good if you go for a bushwalk and things like that. So, but maybe there's a bit more to it. <laughs> so yeah, one thing really interesting, right? There's this patient that I've treated for a long time. He'll remain nameless, God love him. But he loves to have wine, right? Mm -hmm. But he can only drink wine if he goes to the beach. Otherwise, he has insomnia, right? 
So that is such a multi-layered thing, right? Yeah. But I'm wondering if it's to do with when he's at the beach and whatever that natural environment is when he goes swimming, right, and he gets in the water, somehow that's a counter-affecting in some way the inflammatory, you know, drive of the alcohol on his gastrointestinal yeah, system yeah. now. You know, not just his liver, it's so weird. Yeah, anyway. you have me thinking about that now. Yeah, getting back to nature is always good. So look, yeah. let, let's just fall into a little bit now, like, the relationship between what a prebiotic is, what a probiotic is. Um, why do we need a, um, a, a probiotic or should we be having prebiotics and are they all the same? What's the difference between them all? And um, yeah, what would you like to say about that? Where, where do you start with that? Do you want yeah. to start with um, a probiotic first? Yeah, sure, sure. So probiotics, um, yeah, like I said, we're identifying now um, what single strains do where we just before just used to look at a formula and say that's a probiotic and, um, and and that was generic kind of thing but now it's getting so specific with all their different actions so they've now been able to identify our 20 core bacteria um, in our gut and the good bacteria yeah good yeah. good gut bacteria yeah. and bear in mind we've got um, billions <laughs> so uh, so many of them we don't know about yet but um, working on it um, and we've been able to they've been able to identify which probiotic strains can feed those core bacteria as well um, interestingly enough um, I mean in certainly in in retail um, the main probiotics that were usually used had really, really high levels of um, lactobacillus yeah, acidophilus. Yeah, acidophilus, it was those two, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's always those two. Yeah, yeah, that was it. 20 years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's it. That's, um, that's like an inner health plus now, isn't it? Yeah, you know? If yeah. you buy that from the chemist, they've still got that. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know if I was allowed to say names. That's <laughs> oh, all right, but that, that's fine. No one will care. But that inner health plus, that's sort of the the, the, yep. the one that's marketed in yeah. the chemist. You yeah, know, yeah. yeah. I think even they're starting to formulate different um, ones now. But they found that that L-acidophilus, like it's not one of our core strains. and Is it only right? Yeah, no. And it only made up or about 0.06 or something of our gut bacteria. So very, very low. And sure, it can still have some benefit, um, but, yeah, it certainly wasn't one of our core strains. Um, well, well yeah. can we, can we need to talk about that. So what would be the downside of taking on high dose a, a, probe, a, a strain that is not shouldn't be in your gut at a high level? Sure, sure. Well, I Could think, there be a downside? Um, well, I think, uh, I think definitely, I don't think that could cause harm. Oh, in, in some cases, I mean, lactobacillus acidophilus, it's not always one I go for straight off because if there's a lot of inflammation in the gut, um, depending on what we're treating, that can sometimes be like putting acid on acid and I've seen it actually flare symptoms up and um, cause more pain and discomfort. So, yeah, well, sometimes there's a step before taking just um, general probiotics, and that's um, like we were talking about before, that, that gut barrier layer. Like we've got a mucous membrane lining on our 
gut wall and and it's not not just our gut wall it actually goes right up through respiratory so it's our it's our first line of defense in the immune system so so that mucus um, that you get in your sinuses and stuff right that's a natural production of mucus to dilute any bacteria and filter the air you're saying that mucus is all in your stomach and stuff and intestines as well um like a type of it anyway. yeah, yeah yeah i guess a, a bit different to different that type. but but yeah our our gut barrier layer is a like a mucous membrane layer we call it i guess and it's really important in anything we do to in our first line of sort of treating the gut to replenish that um, mucous membrane um, oh. lining one because that helps to what we're doing is we're healing and sealing like any leaky gut for example um, we're restoring that um, immune barrier layer but also if you need that gut barrier layer nice and um, um, yeah restored for probiotics to be able to do their job better so, um, so there's, there's an optimal physical environment that probiotics have to work in as well and that is the mucosal layer as well so how mm. do you fix the mucosal layer if that's damaged yeah sure so certainly yeah nice healthy clean eating and stress management all comes into it um but some of our some of our key things we use so um i often love using a, a strain called saccharomyces boulardii or it's just sb for short um it's really interesting it's not actually a bacterial probiotic strain it's actually a um, a good yeast strain so it works quite differently it doesn't have to be kept in the fridge um, and it encourages the body's own production of secretory IgA which is restoring that mucous membrane layer gotcha. um, it's a little bit antimicrobial in itself so I pack people off to Bali and Thailand with um, with SB yeah. um, uh, just protects the gut and it's strongly anti-inflammatory as well um, and it feeds those 20 core bacteria. Um, it's also the one, if someone's taking antibiotics, um, an antibiotic won't can kill off. Can they take that? Yeah, yeah they okay. can take it at exactly the same time. Um, because it's not a bacterial strain, the, the antibiotic won't kill it off. Gotcha. So it can work really nicely alongside it. And um yeah it's quite specific against um bad yeast overgrowth in the gut as well so i know that commercially they also market market um sort of immune um probiotics and mm. other type like they, they're now saying that you, know, you can buy different types of probiotics for different functions and some that stay in the fridge and some that stay out of the fridge is that something you could just elaborate on us for a little bit yeah sure sure so yeah it is becoming popular to um there's some technology that allows the probiotic strains to um last longer outside the fridge which is good and they are usually, especially the practitioner ones, I guess, are, are generally packed with more strains than is labelled on the gut. So they could be out, out of the fridge for um, a period of time, probably even up to a week and still hold their same potency um, before they start going down. Um, 
but um, what we're saying, yeah, about immune immune control and things. So yeah, well, they they're now saying that you know get the immune probiotic or get the yeah, sure. healing probiotic. You know, so it's it's really confusing. That's yeah. probably why you need a practitioner to guide you with some of that stuff, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's always um individualized what we um what we prescribe, and and there's certainly now yeah, like I said, more scope of using different strains for different conditions. So another one of our um, well-known um, strains is Lactobacillus rhamnosus. Um, and that's been trialled for immune control. It also feeds our core um, bacteria and helps to restore that gut barrier layer. But they've done trials on like um, lessening respiratory infections in kids when they start school or preschool and things like that. Um, it's used a lot in autoimmunity for balance. Um, so yeah, so that's a big one for oh allergies and eczema and things like that as well. Yeah, cool. Because um, yes, yeah, skin conditions we're always looking at the the gut as well. Um, so so they're the probiotics. So they're the good bacteria. Now what I know about and that's just a, a small sample, but yeah. but but what I also know is that the latest sort of buzzword is this stuff called prebiotics. So what what is a pre, you mentioned fiber, but mm. what is what is a you know people talk about things like you know kombucha and miso soup and pickled food is are they prebiotic sure yeah yeah i'll put them put i put them all in the prebiotic group because the prebiotics anything that will encourage the growth of good bacteria um so yeah kombucha kefir um sauerkraut all those fermented foods um become more of a fad these days or or just or more readily available let's say because all the kombucha drinks and things like that are they worthwhile well i think you've got to be a bit careful with them um i think they're brilliant for gut maintenance if the gut's in a, a good state um, but i've actually seen a lot of infections come into clinic from overuse of them um, because with the does that with, proliferate bad bacteria? Yes, yeah, those. Um, is, is that right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, kombucha and things they will feed the bad bacteria as well as the good. So if someone's a bit prone to candida or something, it could, if you have too much, I think you know introduce it slowly. Um, I've yeah. overdosed on it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I, I tried and I just found it didn't, oh, yeah, I just didn't feel well after drinking it for yeah. a while. Yeah, you know? it's also very high histamine. So if like if you might have that bit of allergy component, um, yeah, yeah, high histamine as well. So that can bring in an issue. But, but it sort um, of tastes okay if people are seeing yeah. it as a supplement to soft drinks, you know. Yeah. Is it a better supplement to soft drinks? Oh sure, sure. Anything probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, slowly and and surely and um. Is it good yeah, to kids? Would it. kids have it as well? Uh, yeah, good question. They don't really like yeah. it. They do. They yeah, do. It's a bit sour. Yeah. Bit of an odd taste for them, but um, yeah. So yeah, prebiotics. I guess I love I love slippery elm powder as a prebiotic. I just think it's gentle and. What is slippery um, elm powder? Is that like a, is that a root that they crush or something? Um, it's powder from the bark of an elm tree. Right. Um, okay. or did I get that right? Um, I think it's from an elm tree. If it's from <laughs> we'll go with that. Tree, yeah. It is a powder from a bark of a tree. Yeah. Um, 
And um, so they basically get the bark and they grind it down, do they? I guess so. And it's got medicinal properties. Yeah, very soothing and healing and anti-inflammatory. Um, yeah, we use it for a lot of um, gut conditions, and it and it just adds a bit of fibre also for yeah gut motility, and it's good for any heartburn and um, um, yeah. Any... Is that your go-to? Is that one of your go-to for gastrointestinal issues? Um, is there any other herbs always, that, yeah. that sort of common that, that work well as well? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, and I mean, slippery elm, it's not always a go-to because some people don't like the... Um, it can get a bit gluggy if you left it sitting there. So some people might not like the texture. It's um, We've got something for everyone basically as far as, um, yeah, what they'll be compliant with. Um, but if I see somewhere it's easy for it to use, like putting it into a smoothie or into porridge in the morning or something. Um, well, I know Metagenics do a supplement called GastroEase that has it in it as well, doesn't it? So that GastroEase, whatever it is, I think that's a, like a another soothing herbal supplement, isn't it? I don't know. So it must have... Are you familiar um, with that one? Or is it... Do you mean Glutagenics? No, no, there's one no. called GastroEase. I think... It was recommended to me at one point because I was getting some gastrointestinal issues and I just found it soothed it again. Yeah, yeah I, I, sure. Yeah. yeah, I don't think that's in the range now. It might have changed, but there's certainly some good formulas that include slippery elm in it. They've often got glutamine, maybe herbs like boswellia, aloe vera, um, or marshmallow. They're all soothing and healing and some of those have that ability to encourage the the growth of the good bacteria so is that what they Um, do interesting yeah yeah but again it's yeah doing that first line of um strengthening the barrier layer and and one thing we spoke about before and can you overdose on prebiotics um yeah i guess like we were saying the you know too much of those kombucha and things yeah can cannot be pretty Um, but are people trying too hard now like with having you know, fermented foods and kombucha and, you know, kefir. I mean, kefir is not for everyone, mm, you know, but, yeah. um, like, is, uh, can we, are people sometimes trying too hard, you know, like, and then rather than just eating a wide variety of fruits and vegetables and stuff and a little bit of that stuff, yes, you know, it's yeah. probably a more sane approach than just going straight for the heaps of, you know, prebiotics. Yes, yes, agreed. I, I do think in Western society we um, catch on that something might be good and we just go too hard on it kind of thing. So, yeah, I think variety and balance is the key. And sure, there's some um, great, can be some great benefits from those, but just um, little and often rather than too much. Sure. It was like, I guess, when at one point when we thought soy might be good for us. I guess um, in Asian cultures, they might eat 50 grams a day of the fermented soy, like tofu and tempeh and everything. But we started drinking bucket loads of soy milk and um, um, the unfermented stuff. And and again, yes, soy can be very inflammatory in the gut in those kind of forms as well. So, yeah, I think we go a bit overboard. Yeah, I I just saw so many people drinking soy. And well, look, now it's almond milk, really, isn't it? Sure, sure. That's the one everyone's drinking. But Mm. um, do do you have an opinion on that? Do you think almond's okay? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, uh, I mean, there's only a small amount of almonds really in almond milk. Okay. Um, you do have to be careful of what's. Yeah, look at your ingredients. I guess in the milk alternatives, there's 
one ingredient called carrageenan which sneaks into some brands of milk alternatives um, they use it as a softening agent in ice creams and some yogurts and pastries and things but very inflammatory in the gut and can cause diarrhea um, so especially anyone with like ulcerative colitis or crohn's got to be really careful with that okay um yeah so look at your ingredients um to get it as clean as awesome. possible <laughs> yeah thanks for that that's that's great i mean the one thing we didn't speak about that i think is probably um and you know and you and i both know being in the business that we are of helping people um and we we both understand that stress plays a major role mm. in the way our bodies work too isn't it and especially mm. the gastrointestinal system yeah yeah um there's something that I've spoken about on previous podcasts, but I'd love to hear your slant on it. And that is just how the flight or fright, res- fright or flight <laughs> response works and what, what adrenaline and stress does to your, your ability for your stomach to work properly, your di- digestive system to function. Yeah, sure, sure. So when we get that um, surge of adrenaline um, and, you know, can be from yeah our busy days or anything like that but um yeah so they say we're in that fight or flight response and what happens there is that um, the blood's going to your brain so you're alert Uh, the blood's going to your muscles as if you're going to have a physical response to run away from an attacker and when we're in that state our digestion's actually switched off Um, So I do definitely encourage mindful eating with all my clients um, because I guess traditionally what used to happen is uh, the hunter and gatherer days, I guess they'd hunt the food and then it's all the preparation. So um, it's all the aromas of preparing the food that, yeah, you talked about before about the vagus nerve. So those aromas would um, basically register um, to tell the vagus nerve that um, send messages to switch on our digestive secretions and prepare for food. Um, But now because like a lot of people might eat their lunch um, at their computer while they're doing emails at the same time so they're you know not focusing on their food and um, uh, or it's all about yeah fast and convenient so we're not getting all those aromas to switch on our digestive secretions and right. our gut's not prepared and the food can just sit there heavy and um, not be properly digested. So I definitely encourage everyone to you know step away from your computer, uh, take a few deep breaths through your nose before you sit down Have to a sniff. eat. Yeah. Is that right? I never would have thought, and maybe there's something in um, meal... Um, production that goes through that as well actually cooking and actually preparing your meal might be setting your stomach up to receive it yeah and and just looking at looking at your food like look at the colors and the yeah the smell and everything um there is one little way we can cheat a little bit to try to um emulate that that action and that's like having something bitter before our meal or the Japanese often serve like a little bit of salad before the main yeah, meal yeah, yeah, so anything right. um, again the vagus nerve but anything bitter registers on the tongue um, yes yeah, sends a message down the vagus nerve and gets the digestive 
um, what secretions going. Can you give going. us some examples besides the salad? Anything yeah, else yeah. So you... apple cider vinegar is a good one. Not everyone's cup of tea, but just yeah, um, it doesn't react well with me. Yeah. So again, fermented foods, so high histamine. So not for everyone, oh, but coming out with me with um, histamines, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar in a third of a glass of warm water to sip on is a good one. Um, so one thing that the Chinese do, as you know, is I try to drink as much. See, and if ever you go to an acupuncture seminar, I'm guessing naturopathy is probably similar. Rather than people taking a cold drink in and to, to, to the seminar, you see these people going to the hot water urn right. and just having a hot, like they'll just sip hot water. Sure. Or they'll, um, you know, they'll have a herbal tea or a tea or whatever. And it's that warmth yeah, that signals yeah. the, the, the brain that the body's, you know, A, to st- it's a comforting factor. And, and the thing is with hot water too, we talk about the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, mm, but mm. it stimulates the parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system. Right, yeah. So having that heat and warmth in your tummy yeah. is, is comforting, but it also switches the body out of that sympathetic response. Yeah, yes, yeah. It's like the cold water shocks you a bit and I, I do know I think your yeah, digestion has to work harder if you have cold water yeah I've seen people with really poor digestion who drink who have and poor like energy levels and health issues for, who have a lot of ice in their drinks oh right okay yeah. interesting ice, ice isn't good like a lot yeah. of ice here and there no problem yeah like, you know yeah but some people love to have ice in their drinks yeah it, it causes problems yeah. right yeah yeah well yeah well, well with the stress responses, there was another thing that I just quickly wanted to talk about, and um, and that was that the other thing besides the microbiome that we've touched on and the uh, the bacteria and the mucosa is also um, peristalsis. Remember that we learned about it at school. How some people, you know, that our stomach moves through our body food through food moves through our stomach without us even thinking about it through mm. rhythmic like contractions right mm. and it just slowly 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 goes around and and you touched upon the fact that the stomach and the duodenum you know leads into the small intestine but if we'll if we were to unravel the small intestine i think it goes for a really long way i can't mm. remember how long that is yeah. it's a really long way isn't it yeah um and then the large intestine which is actually smaller than the in length and the the large in the than the um, small intestine and the, every part of your your gastrointestinal system has a different role to play doesn't it so different things are absorbed in the stomach then mm. you know the small intestine does fats and the large intestine you know uh, with water reabsorption and mm. so forth there's different mm. roles for all the all the different parts of the digestive system to play but i wondered what your opinion was on peristalsis and there's some people have fast peristalsis and some people have slow peristalsis and is that something that I've, I've got a bit of an idea about that and one thing with, with the stress response um, I think sometimes our emotional mind um, changes that peristalsis yeah. so I think you know if you look at the sort of TCM beliefs in um, things like uh, irritable bowel syndrome Crohn's disease um, the common ones that we see uh, with chronic gastro, poor gastrointestinal health, it seems this peristalsis is also affected by our emotional mind. And and our emotional mind, the the, the emotions are normally associated with that uh, anger, frustration, resentment, 
worry. They're the, they're the mm. common things. And mm. I think that possibly plays a role in that the speed at which things move. Mm. You know? Sure, Does that sure. make some sense to you? Um, yeah, and definitely, um, yeah, like you said, there's such a big connection with the gut and the brain. And in Chinese medicine, they call the gut the second brain. Um, and yeah, really interesting to mention that they say um, this is another function of our um, our gut. 90% of our serotonin is produced in our gut and 70% of our dopamine, so all our, our feel-good um, brain chemicals. And I would say that about oh, th- probably three-quarters of the people that um, come to me with irritable bowel syndrome are already on antidepressant medication and they don't um, know the connection there. Um, and yeah, like you said, I, f- I feel the peristalsis can be affected by um, emotions. It's like a, a holding on, like a, a fear. And like I said, all those other emotions can come into it. But um, yeah, it certainly can have that, that action as well. Yeah, because um, it can slow down or it can speed up. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's it. Yeah. So some people um, would have sort of a more you know sluggish bowel, or um, and some people might have a super fast bowel. Yeah. Depending yeah. upon you know what what emotion they're actually feeling as well. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the interesting things I found with this was that people often who had see often in Chinese medicine they call it like a counter rotation mm-hmm. so rather than things flowing clockwise like they do in the body as you know it sort of starts to spin back the other way right, right? and so you've got to get it spinning back in the other direction but often that will result in um, a hot head and cold feet right, right. okay so getting getting um, getting things moving in the right direction um, can can reverse that you know yeah and, and so sort of a lot of acupuncture is designed to spin that around a bit to get it moving in the right direction okay and um and one of the things they talk about in that re- that respect is that a lot of liver issues cause that and then we, we, mm. we i know we've got talking about gastrointestinal health today but then if your liver is is inflamed and your liver's not mm. working very well it that has a has an effect on the gastrointestinal system. Oh, as well. absolutely! Everything's yeah. interconnected, and yeah, I love the way Chinese medicine analyze and and look at the body. It's it's awesome, um, but liver certainly responsible for all your digestive secretions. So if yeah, if those bitter digestive secretions aren't um, happening, then yeah, you're not going to have as good peristalsic um, movement for sure. So, so if, if you're wanting to get healthy and you do have, you know, and you're sick of being in poor health, um, and if you're listening to this and you're wondering where to start, mm. a, a good idea might be, and if you've got something serious that's developing, like, say, for instance, an autoimmune disease, mm. or if you've got chronic fatigue, or if you're depressed and you've mm. been depressed for some time, yeah, you know, yeah, certainly one of the areas to look at would be a sort of talking listening and paying attention to some of the stuff we spoke about in regards to the gastrointestinal system but also maybe cleaning up your liver as well uh, to help with the because that indirectly then affects the functioning of your um, gastrointestinal system yeah that's right and important um again we come back to that gut barrier layer but you always want to make sure that gut barrier layer is restored and nice and integral before you start 
clean out the liver because you if you're pushing toxins around um, and the the gut is in that leaky gut state you're just going to be pushing toxins back into wow. your yeah, um, okay. portal system again too so and that's when you get all the headaches and things like that if you're not detoxing in a safe way <laughs> so by by the portal system explain that to us Kaz so what's the portal system um well I guess yeah if toxins are, are reabsorbed back through the gut barrier layer and that can even happen in you know chronic constipation and things if the fecal matter is sitting there fermenting for too long you're just going to be reabsorbing toxins back through the gut um, and then the liver's like our first point of call for um, um, yeah, like metabolizing any medications or chemicals or alcohol toxins. Yeah, alcohol. Yeah, we all know alcohol affects the liver. Yeah. So all those toxins. So I guess if things are being reabsorbed back through the gut wall, then it's going to go back to um the liver or yeah via the portal circulation. So it just loads it up again. Yeah. In yeah, a secondary it. way. Yeah. yeah. And then more okay. fatigue, more um more sort of allergy reactions um uh yeah poor digestive you know bloating wind all those um uncomfortable kind of symptoms and i think one thing just came to mind is and and we talk about the role of alcohol we've spoken about medications we've spoken about diet um what about coffee how does that affect the that's a common thing everyone has sort of every day these days is sure. does that affect the gastrointestinal system and the liver um well coffee i mean i think there's there's some good benefits to coffee um and i do like my coffee in the morning yeah, sure. <laughs> um i think again some people overdo coffee um or because if they're already wound up and stressed that adrenaline sort of yes. thing into that yeah. sympathetic fright or flight thing. That's right. That yeah. They're getting that more of that rather than the calming aspect of warmth in the tummy or the blood's gone to caffeine makes you sort of the blood rush out to your muscles like you were saying. Yeah, yeah. So if coffee, it's overdone. Yeah, yeah. So everything in, in moderation like we're saying, coffee can be an irritant and... Uh, coffee can um, stimulate that peristalsic movement of the, the bowel as well, which isn't bad for some people. It's good for some people, um, yeah. But, yeah, I guess also to note our things like um, coffee, tea, alcohol, they're all anti-nutrient. I guess they can affect the absorption of, um, you know, iron and things like that. So, right. yeah, ideally just have your coffee separate. Don't um, have your tea with or coffee food. Um, with your meal. Especially. What about water with food? Should we be having water with meals? That's an old wives' tale I used to hear, that don't have water with meals. Is that right? Yeah, sure, right? sure. Um, I, I say don't have large quantities of water with your meal. Like, sure, you could sip on a little bit, um, but leave a good, you know, half an hour or something before having um, bigger amounts of water because um, otherwise, essentially, you're diluting those digestive enzymes, which we want them there in full force to, to break down our food. And, and um, what about, say, and while we're on that, um, electrolyte replacement type drinks for sport and kids and things like that, what do you think about those? Are they worthwhile or not worthwhile? And do we really need them? Are they just sugar-based drinks that are marketed? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, a lot of the um, electrolyte formulas, um, like targeted at sports and that in the retail arena, 
um, they're not always, I mean, magnesium's one of our main electrolytes um, that How we need. How should we take magnesium then? Should we be drinking it or spraying it? What should we do with that? Yeah, magnesium's um, wonderful. And like we were talking about before, um, actually just to touch on with some of those, um, say, um, guts that are bound up due to stress. Yeah. Um, I find like some kids... For example with constipation that's due to stress like respond really well to magnesium um, because it relaxes the smooth muscles of the bowel and helps that motility um, but magnesium yes it can be well absorbed topically so for some people i find that um, a nice easy um, way to use magnesium especially for kids um, uh, powdered form is great um, but you want to just introduce it slowly too much too soon you could get quite a loose bowel movement okay. um, or it depends on what people are going to be compliant with as well so tablet formulations and some forms are better absorbed than others and one yeah. thing that really impresses me about karen is that she always knows if someone's on a certain medication she'll often know that they're deficient that that medication while it may be essential for that person to survive it also, Karen will know that, that taking that medication might deplete them of zinc or magnesium or mm. other minerals mm. as well. I know you've spoken about that in the past with clients that I've referred. Yeah, So yeah. for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And unfortunately, mm. with the, some of the medications, they might block the um, absorption of some of these minerals. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, um, yeah, so I always look closely into that to look for deficiencies um, certainly magnesium is a big deficiency in Western society because it's um, quickly depleted by the body in stress. Yeah. <laughs> so they say, I think the statistic was perhaps 67% of us are magnesium deficient. <laughs> Which is a sad indictment on us all, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, well, I'll tell you what, is there anything that you wanted to add before we finish up? Ah. <sighs> Uh, we could, like we said, we could talk all we day talk on this. <laughs> no, it's been wonderful to talk to you. I'm just mindful this is our first chat. Maybe we can do some other ones, you know. But um, I really super enjoyed chatting to you about it. You're a, you're an abundance of knowledge, <laughs> and I know you're a wonderful naturopath. So, uh, if anyone wants to get in contact with Karen again, she left her um, email address at the start. And what's your contact number, Kat? Sure, sure. So my mobile number is o four three two one. Nine four seven three five, and I can't recommend Karen highly enough. And everyone from babies through to older people, she can, um, and and especially um, she's helped me with my children and continues to do so. And I can't recommend her highly enough. So guys, if you need an naturopath or need some advice just on <laughs> diet and and ex and and maybe if anyone's taking any medication or someone has poor gastrointestinal health. Not only do I do I think it's worthwhile, I think it's essential that you touch base with with a, a good naturopath. And obviously, even with what I do from a chiropractic point of view, with chiropractic can balance the parasympathetic and the uh, and sympathetic nervous system. But also from an acupuncture point of view, there's also much that can be done to help people improve their health. So really great talking to you today, Karen. Uh, Good chatting to you. Is there any other topics you'd ever like to talk about in the future? Is there something that you'd, you'd like to talk about if we did another podcast, if I could grab you again from your yes, busy schedule? Yes, so I'll be back, absolutely. <laughs> There's one thing that, that might be really worthwhile for, um, 
for you to talk about and it's really super common in my practice with what I treat and that is uh, endometriosis, mm, uh, mm. polycystic ovarian syndrome, sure, sure. infertility. And yeah. I touched on that uh, before with another, in another podcast, but there's no way we'd have the insight that you would. So mm, maybe that's mm. one we could do in the future again. Yeah, yeah, love to. Yeah, so thank you very much, Mick, and thank you everyone for listening. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Bye.